Praise God. All right. Ooh. Mm. I guess I struggled all, all week. I struggled. There was a preach in my heart, and there's still a preach in my heart. But I'm hard on myself. And if I don't turn off the things, then I, it's really hard. And it's just really a sad tragedy for the church of Jesus Christ that we even call this church. You and I are the ecclesia. We are the body. This is just a building and this is just a meeting. What did you come here today to meet for? Because for too long we've been having church. And church has not accomplished anything. And there's too much pressure for the pastor and the leaders to show up. To give you a wow moment or a wow factor or a wow word. There's too much pressure on me right now to stand here and present something to you. To draw something up. To write the perfect sermon. To have all the points in place. To get you to a state of an emotional on the edge of your seat, just waiting. I didn't come and I didn't appeal to the call of God on my life to bring you to a place where you're caught up in your emotions. To leave you on the edge of your seat. God called me to preach the gospel. And if we would preach the gospel exactly how Jesus taught us, exactly how the disciples taught us, I can guarantee there probably wouldn't be as many churches as there are, much less as many people sit in them that do. Jesus did not cater to every person. He did not cater to every situation. He spoke the truth and he let the truth minister. Because his word does not return void. There's too much pressure on me to put something together to present it to you in such a way that you'll leave today saying, man, that was great. That was great. That was... No, no, no. All I'm supposed to do is preach the gospel. I'm supposed to bring you to Jesus. I'm supposed to encourage myself and encourage you. I don't think that Paul and Peter and, and John, I don't think many of the apostles, you know, studied all night because they knew that they had a sermon to preach tomorrow. I believe that there was probably moments where they were put on the spot. There was a gathering happening. And the Lord prompted Peter's heart and said, stand up and speak this to my people. There wasn't four hours of study time. There wasn't 40 hours of study time. They didn't have Logos Bible software. They didn't have a Strong's concordance. It was the Spirit of God that was alive in them, that brought revelation to them and spoke through them. too much pressure to show up on a day that the world wants to celebrate a holiday and expect me to come in here with a Mother's Day message for you. I really don't see anywhere in the scriptures where Jesus says prepare a Mother's Day message or a Father's Day message. Matter of fact, I don't see anywhere in the scriptures where it says prepare a Christmas or Easter message. He says, you go and you preach Jesus. You preach him crucified. You preach him buried in a grave. You preach him that on the third day he raised from the dead. 
and that he poured out his spirit for all people. That's what he tells us to preach. Oh, I told y'all I had to preach today. That might be all you get. I don't know. I'm wrecked right now for Jesus. I'm wrecked right now for what God's doing. I'm wrecked for what God's doing all across the world. What he's doing in our country. Yeah, we might see churches of a thousand people with people friendly going in and out. But how many of those people are really crying out for the presence of God? How many people are really seeing God move in their homes and in their families and in their situations and in their circumstances? We could petition all day long a crowd of people into a building and give them a pat on the back and hand them a gift bag on their way out the door. But I would rather you walk out of here encountering Jesus, the only gift from heaven that you'll ever need. I want to talk to you this morning about being marked. I don't know how long this is going to be. Part of me wants to say it's going to be 10 minutes. I don't know. Might be 30, might be four hours. Hope you wore a diaper. (laughs) Marked. We've been in a series called We Have Not Gone This Way Before. We've been looking through the story of Joshua. And we've been pulling pieces out of the gospel of Jesus to see how it applies and relates to our lives. See, that's the problem with a lot of people. They hear a lot of things and they read a lot of scripture, but it never revelates. They never grab a revelation out of it. They just hear it and they just say it. And you'll know a lot of people that can say a lot of scripture. But guess what? There's a lot of devils. Actually, let me rephrase this. Every devil is a theologian and there's still a devil. I mean, look at Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness. He knew. He knows. And he's still the devil. All right. My goal is to not eat as many cough drops. Because what happens is my mouth gets really dry, and then I start licking my lips, and then my lips get sticky, and then they start sticking together, then I get spider webs. But I want to talk about being marked, being marked, not by the things of the world. Not by our cliche phrases. Not by song lyrics. Not by inspirational quotes. Not by things we heard growing up as a child from our parents. But marked by his presence. Marked by his cutting. Marked because we've not passed this way before. The pastor preached last week, and he talked about the cutting and the circumcision. And he really hit on the fact that God can't take us where we've never been in the condition that we're in. And he talked about preparing the wineskins, that we can't go somewhere we've never been in the condition that we're in. We can't walk into something new. We can't walk into something that we're about to overtake. We can't walk into something that God wants to use us in when we still have baggage. Let's go to Joshua. We'll start at Joshua and then we'll go straight to Jesus. How about that? Joshua 5, and we read this last week, so I'm not going to read it to you again. 
But God commanded Joshua after they passed over the Jordan. They camped in Gilgal. And he told Joshua, circumcise them again. And he said, the reason why Joshua circumcised them and all the people who came out of Egypt, this is, I'm just recapping Joshua 5, 4. I'll do better this way. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males and all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they'd come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. The children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. He swore to them that he would give them the land flowing with milk and honey. All right. I just mentioned this this morning real fast. The 12 spies went into the land of Canaan. 12 came back. Two said, let's go. Ten said, let's not. And God told them that they would spend 40 years in the wilderness. And he said, every man over the age of 24 will die in the wilderness. I will spare your children. So here we are. Men of war. They did not obey the voice of the Lord. So they all died. So now all these men who he's about to circumcise were men 23 and under, little boys who were born in the wilderness, who are now men. So Joshua circumcised them. Because they had not been circumcised on the way. Ooh. How about that? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They had been circumcised on the way. Hmm. There's something powerful about when we come to Jesus, that he is the great surgeon. And not only does he begin to sew us up and stitch us up from our wounds and our trauma and our pain, but many times he has to cut away disease. He has to cut away that thing that's eating at us. He's got to cut away that thing that could take our life. And if we don't let Jesus do what he wants to do in our life when we're on our way from him, we might arrive in a place where it might cost us something. All right, Joshua 5 and 8. So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people, they had stayed in their places in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of this place shall be called Gilgal to this day. And that means the rolling away. Gilgal means the rolling away. Well, what is reproach, Christina? That's a King James word, right? Well, reproach means disgrace and shame. God said he rolled away the reproach of their past. These young boys who were born in the wilderness, who grew up in the wilderness, all they ever knew was the wilderness. Let me take you somewhere real quick. Maybe you feel like all you ever know is the wilderness. I think all of us in here have some wilderness that we need cut out of us, cut off of us, and to be set free from. Here's what happened prior. If you just flip back a few pages to Deuteronomy 31. 
It starts in verse 9, but if you, if you start at verse 9 and you just read through Deuteronomy 31, you will see exactly what happened here. Moses had a law. And at the end of every seven years, in verse 10, at the appointed time in the year of the Feast of Tabernacles, Israel comes together, and they gathered all the people, and God told them, the men, the women, and the little ones, the stranger who is at your gate, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord, and that they would read them the law. Now, can you imagine... Every seven years, so let's say a child was born. They're in the care of their parents, but it wouldn't be until they're seven years old that they would actually learn some rules about life. But the parent only heard those rules seven years ago, but they're expected to know the whole entire law of Moses. As a parent, that's too much pressure on me. It's too much pressure on me already to raise my kids in the culture and society that we live in these days. And I have three of them. But only every seven years that they would read this and they would bring them all together and read it. How? You don't have access to it? You can't just freely read it on your own? There's no continuing education classes? There's no discipleship. I mean, you're literally at this point, depending on the person in front of you, beside you, around you, and behind you, to remind you of what it said. It's no wonder they were a rebellious people. It's no wonder they struggle with idolatry. It's no longer they were overtaken by their lust. It's no longer the mentality of slavery that was ingrained in their, in their minds and in their hearts was so hard to walk out of. That's all that they ever knew. They only heard a glimpse of it every seven years. They got a little bit of hope every seven years, and that was it one time. I just want to hear the Holy Spirit this morning. And I want to go in the direction that he wants me to go in. Joshua circumcised the men because they hadn't been circumcised on the way that their reproach would be rolled back. The shame and disgrace of their fathers would be rolled back. There it is. The shame and disgrace of our fathers would be rolled back. The things we never learned, the things we were never taught, the incorrect things that we walked in for so long that we thought were correct. Just unintentional. There was no harm intended from our parents. There was no harm intended from our grandparents. The song we listened to, that we allowed that song lyric to impact our life, and we began to believe what it declared. the casual inspirational saying that we find. And we begin to grab a hold of that and believe what it says. And it doesn't really line up with the word of God. It sounds good, but it doesn't really line up with the word of God. 
that encouragement that someone gave us made us feel good. But listen, I told you about Jesus. The rich man came to him and said, what must I do to inherit this eternal life? And he said, sell everything you have. And he turned around and walked away. I don't read anywhere in the scripture where it said Jesus went running after him. Hey, hey, come here. Okay, just get rid of your stocks, your bonds, your 401, your IRA. That's all. You keep your house. You keep your cars. You keep savings, the checking. Just get rid of all that. No. Jesus did not make concessions for this man. He told him how it was, and that was it. I wonder how many of us are sitting in here today where the Holy Spirit has knocked on our heart's door and he told us what to do. He told us how to do it. He put his finger on that thing and said, that's it. It's got to go. Cut it off. Get rid of it. Lay it down. And we kind of said, but, 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 hang on. Hang on. Hang on, Jesus. Wait, wait a minute. Wait. I mean, I know you're Jesus, but... Oh, come on. I got to preach. Let's go to Matthew. Here we go. Matthew 7. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who if his son asks for bread will give him a stone? If he asks for fish will he give him a serpent? If then being evil, how good... the how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts, give good things to those who ask? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Here we go. Enter by the narrow gate, for the wide gate is broad, and it's the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. But because narrow is the gate, Difficulty is the way that leads to life. There are few who find it. You're sitting in a camp this morning. You've read the word of God, you heard the word of God, and you know what the word of God is. Jesus says, deny yourself and follow me. He says, put both hands on the plow and don't look back. Crucify your flesh. Your feelings don't matter. Your desires no longer matter. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the light. Narrow is the gate and straight is the way. But it'll be really hard to do that. And it's going to be really hard to follow him that way. Because half of the problem is, is a bunch of us have a bunch of baggage behind us. We're carrying a lot of things from our past. We're carrying shame and we're carrying disgrace from the people who walked before us. From the generation before us. And I'm not talking about I'm in my 30s and the generation who's in the 40s. No, I'm talking about my generation, my family, my parents and their parents and grandparents and on down the heritage and on down the line. We could all sit in here this morning and we could get our checklist out and on one side write these good things about my family. And then over here I could write these are the bad things about my family. How many of us this morning, I wonder if your list on the bad side would be longer than the good side? How many of us this morning just need to go ahead and start making that list right now? And be reminded of the things that our family come out of. You want to encounter Jesus. Straight is the way and narrow is the gate and there are few who find it. You want to encounter Jesus. You can no longer drag your stuff into his presence. 
to be found in him, we better do what he's asked us to do. Now listen, I'm not talking about you can't just come to him as you are. That's not what I'm talking about this morning. This might be a little bit of a harder message this morning. I'm talking to the saints this morning. I'm talking to the men and women who say, Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is my Lord. The Israelites professed it too. God is for us. But we're going to continue to live in our rebellion because we never knew better. But we don't ever want to know, try to know better because we only want to hang around with people who don't know better. If you want to go somewhere where you've never been, you've got to do something you've never done. Things change when things change. You want things to change in your life and in your situation, your circumstance. You've got to begin to change the way you think. You've got to begin to change the way you respond when the Holy Spirit knocks on your heart's door. You've got to begin to change the way you react when those people get into your way. And they challenge everything in you. I wonder how many of us this morning can sit in here and say, I've walked through difficulty and challenge and tragedy in life. And when the difficult and the challenging and tragic things come, I wonder how many of us walk through life and we look like those things. We look like difficulty. We look like tragedy. We look like challenge. When the scripture tells us that when the pressures of life come, the aroma of Christ ought to be squeezed out. When the pressures of life come, it ought to be Jesus that comes out. When I don't get that promotion at my job or at my work and it's given to someone else who's less deserving and and they don't do half of their job. Is Jesus going to come out? Am I going to rejoice in a moment that they are rejoicing in? Even though it really wasn't fair? When I see someone else have breakthrough in their marriage and I don't feel like God's moving in mine, am I going to rejoice for them? Or am I going to wallow over here in my pity party? Am I going to have love for another? Really love. Love without hypocrisy. Don't just say you love someone, but love them. Giving preference to one another is what the scripture says. How many of us prefer one another? How many of us prefer the one another who's difficult, who has a bunch of baggage, who has a bunch of garbage? How many of us prefer the one another who wants to talk our head off and drive us nuts? How many of us really prefer that person? Because I don't ever read about a Jesus in my Bible that tolerates anything. I read about a Jesus who's full of such compassion and courage that he's willing to come to you and tell you, hey, woman at the well, let me tell you about the man you're with who's not your husband. That's the Jesus I know. The Jesus who tells the rich young ruler, sell everything you have. He doesn't make concessions with him. The Jesus who cleans out the temple and says, this is my house of prayer. I get so tired of this Jesus we paint that sits at the bar with sinners. (sighs) Jesus never met me at the bar when I was sipping on my beer. But he encountered me when I laid my head on my pillow. I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't pursue people. Don't get me wrong. But we've fabricated this narrative. And we have made... A man whose name was Jesus, who had a mama whose name was Mary, and he had a daddy whose name was Joseph. And we have made him and painted him into a pacified sissy. That's not the Jesus I know. We have devalued his significance. That's not the Jesus I read about. 
I don't know about you, but when a man can come to you and confront you in your situation, yet still have compassion, that's a man with a backbone. Well, Christina, I grew up in this environment you don't quite understand. I didn't have parents that were there for me. I never really was taught right from wrong, trying to figure this out. I understand. There are things that we're all trying to figure out. We all come from different circumstances, situations, and backgrounds. We all have in some way, shape, or form, different ideologies, different beliefs, different opinions about things because of the circumstances we came out of or because of the experiences in life we've walked through or because of the circle of people, the influence that we've put around ourselves. Whatever we have at any point from the time we left our mother's womb, now, as a child, you didn't really have a choice but at any point where something has ever entered our eye or our ear gates, it has formed and molded our identity. And that's all we ever know. And I like to share this story in my depression group. But if I took this ink pen, we all know that this is an ink pen. We all agree to that. But from the moment my child was born, if I told my child that this was an alligator... Over and over and over. Eat alligator, alligator, al, alla, alligator, gator. Yeah, woo! Alligator. And my kid grew up thinking that this was an alligator. And the first person they came into contact with confronted that and said, That's an ink pen. That's not an alligator. My child would probably be very offensive and defensive and say, What are you talking about? My mom and daddy told me this was an alligator. I'm not, what are you, you're crazy. I'm not going to listen to you. And then that child grows up, and then someone else comes to him and says, that's not an alligator, that's an ink pen. What are you talking about? Then the child is like, okay, why do people keep coming to me telling me that this is an alligator, not an ink pen? I wonder how many of us grew up as a child thinking one way about something and at some point it got confronted because it needed to be corrected and we had a hard time believing it and then we would start to question mom and dad and then we would get mad and then we would go into this frantic frenzy about beginning to question what really is the truth or maybe how I'm raising my children what truths do I minister to them to make sure that they know when someone in life questions them, when they attend a public school and, and things begin to be challenged that challenge our faith and they challenge our beliefs and challenge how we want to parent our children? How do I raise my kids in such a way that they know what the truth really is? Because you have a whole army of people called the Israelites who were born in the wilderness and that's all they ever knew was the wilderness. So we could probably say twice in their life before adulthood, they heard the law. Twice. Can you imagine if I ever only told my kid, don't lie, it's not okay. When they were seven, never told them it ever again, unless they just casually heard it. And then when they were 14, said, don't lie. Probably wouldn't pan out very well. But I wonder how many of us, just like the Israelites, they were born in the wilderness. Their identity was forged and it was formed. And all they knew was idol worships because that's what their fathers passed down to them. All they knew was just to engage and pursue your lust because that's all that their fathers passed down to them. They were never taught how to steward their sexuality. If you feel that way, it's okay, just act on it. No way. When are we going to correct this? When is the church and the leaders in the church going to stand up and begin to correct this? 
what it is. It's sin. Same sex attraction is sin. Sexual immorality is sin. If you're not legally bound to the person you're sleeping with, that is sin. Jesus takes it a little bit further. He says, if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. That is sin. You know what else is sin? Murder, lying, stealing, taking the name of God in vain. We all know the old laws. But Jesus takes them a little bit farther. We have to be clever and creative and we think in this day and age where the world is swallowed up in racism, I've got news for you. Racism isn't something new. Jesus said, if you hate a man in your heart, you've murdered him. Straight is the way, narrow is the gate. Maybe you think you showed up on the wrong day. I promise I'm not yelling at you. When they finished the circumcising, all the people stayed in their places in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said, Joshua, this day I have rolled away the reproach. This day, I have rolled away the reproach. This day, you have been marked. You have been marked. This day, I'm marking you. And it's painful. And it hurts. But the burdens of your ancestors, the burdens of your past, the burdens of your family, the way you were raised, that you were taught was never really right. The Lord said, I'm cutting that away today. Today is the day the reproach will be rolled away. The shame and disgrace from your past, the shame and the heritage that you have to continue to carry into the future, the stories that I have to tell my children about where their grandfather is. The Lord says, this day I rolled away the reproach. I have rolled away the shame. I have rolled away the disgrace. But there's one condition on this. Stay in the camp until you're healed. Stay in the camp until you're healed. Because you can't really see that far ahead of you. It was significance. When the Lord spoke to Joshua and Joshua commanded the people, do not set out from this place until the Ark of the Covenant passes you by. Jesus said it even better in in John. He said it like this. He said, I have to go prepare a place for you. You cannot follow me there. Peter said, but Jesus, where are you going? He said, Peter, you can't follow me right now. Where are you going? We've not passed this way before, Peter. You can't follow me right now. And then John 14, here, Thomas, good old Dalton Thomas. He says, Jesus, how do we know where you are going? We do not know where you are going. He said, let me tell you where I'm going. Let me tell you the way I'm going. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then (laughs) Philip, he said, but where are you going? He said, have I not told you that I am in my father and he is in me? I have performed many miracles among you. If you ought to believe me that I am him and he is in me, you ought to believe just based on the miracles that I have performed. I think at some point Jesus was getting really frustrated with the disciples. You've been walking with me for this long and you still haven't decided to really follow me. We 
We've been walking this way for this long, and I'm trying to cut some things off of your life. I'm trying to circumcise you. I'm trying to get you to realize that you've got to leave some stuff behind. I've got you to realize that the reproach is being rolled away. Then here comes another dude. His name was Judas. He said, Lord, you're saying that one of us is going to betray you. Jesus just straight up says, yeah, it'll be you, man. I wonder how frustrated Jesus got. I wonder if he got as frustrated as Moses and Joshua lead the Israelites out of Egypt. They're rebellious. They don't ever want to change. They don't want to let go of what their fathers have put in their pockets of idolatry, of lust, of shame, and of disgrace. And here the Lord is saying, I'm calling you to follow me today. That if you stay in the camp, I will show up and I will circumcise you. But I won't just leave you there abandoned and alone. He says, I will come to you. Jesus begins to tell them, you have got to trust me. I will not leave you an orphan. I will come. He told the disciples, I have to go prepare a place, but I promise you I will come. You will not be left an orphan. And here we have the Israelites in the camp cut. They're bleeding. They're hurting. They know that they're supposed to take Jericho. They got word that the the army in Jericho, the king of Jericho, the people in Jericho, they already got word through Rahab, the prostitute. Hey, sometimes we better open up our eyes and our ears because God will give us a word through someone who we don't think is worthy to give us a word. God sent a word through Rahab and said, the hearts of these people are melted because they saw your God. Some of you in here this morning need to know this. God has already showed up in your situation. God has already showed up in your life. God has already arrived on the scene and showed you how mighty his hand is. He has provided for you when you couldn't provide for yourself. He has given you peace beyond your circumstance. He's done immeasurably above and beyond what you can think, ask, or imagine. And here it is. The people of Jericho are saying our hearts are melted. We no longer have any courage. He sent a word. And then Joshua circumcised the people. I wonder what the people were thinking on that day. They crossed the Jordan. And they're supposed to go overtake the city. They know where they were headed and they know what God told them. I wonder how many of them said, Joshua, what are you thinking, man? You're going to circumcise us? We're supposed to go take over that army. They're the ones who are weak and their hearts are melted. You're going to put us in this camp in stitches right now? But God, if you cut that thing out of my life right now, that's going to hurt really bad. If you roll back the reproach, if you dismiss the disgrace... In the shame from my past, in this moment that I'm walking in right now, this thing might overtake me. There's this thing over here that's coming for me. Do you even know? Do you even understand what's in my tomorrow? Do you even understand what I'm facing next week? But Joshua was confident enough in the Lord of angel armies to circumcise all of his people knowing that they would have time to stay in the camp and heal in the army who had been faint-hearted would not just muster up courage. Listen, the Lord knows where you are, and he knows what you need. You might think that there's a devil brewing in tomorrow. The Lord's already been in that tomorrow. He's already dealing with that devil. And you say, but God, I got to sit here, man. That thing's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's a week, a week away. It's five days away. It's three days away now, man. That thing is coming. It's coming. It's going to take me out. The Lord says, if you would sit still, let me circumcise your heart from Egypt. You let me cut away the things from your past. You let me cut away the stuff that's not going to fit through this gate because it's straight and narrow. I will roll back your reproach where you trust my hand. I am the great physician. 
the Lord was so good, he sent another word to the army in Jericho. And at this time, it says, they lost their spirit. They were completely defeated before they were even defeated because of obedience of a cutting. Will you stay in the camp? Trust the hand of God. Will you stay in the camp and let God do what he wants to do in your life? Will you stay in the camp and let the reproach be rolled back? The enemy said, we saw you part the Red Sea. Surely your hand is on them. They crossed the Jordan. And they said, oh God, we're done. We're done. God is with them. He is too mighty for us. Can I encourage you this morning? The Lord has marked you. He's 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 marked you this morning. And if you stay in the camp until you are healed, you will take a city. You will take a city. Well, Christina, what does that mean? going to win a city for Jesus. I wasn't really called to be an evangelist or a pastor. What do you mean I'm going to take a city? Let me tell you. They didn't win any people to Jesus in this siege of Jericho. What in the kind of taking that you thought it was? Jericho was a place of idolatry. Jericho was a place where the enemy just manifested himself over and over and over. Let me tell you again, Rahab, the harlot, the prostitute, where did she live? In the wall of Jericho. In the wall of Jericho. You are marked to be healed. You are marked to be healed. You are marked to be delivered. You are marked to be healed. You are marked to be delivered. You are marked to be healed. And they were in the camp, from what I can gather, at least six days, based on what the scripture said. Six days. Now, at at that point, Joshua encountered the angel. And then he said, raise up armies. Let's go to Jericho. So the time between that, I don't know, but I know that they were at least in the camp healing for six days. What do you need to heal from? What do you need to be cut away from your life? What formed your identity in life? What is forming your identity? Is it society? Is it the culture around us? Tommy, if you could just give me some instrumental music. Boys and girls, we're just going to wrap this up right here. What am I allowing to form my opinion? What am I allowing to speak into my life? Maybe you're sitting in here this morning and you say, how can I be marked, Christina, when I'm too marred? I'm too marred from the things I've had to walk through in life. How can God completely change my mindset how can God completely deliver my mind like he delivered the minds of the Egyptians the Israelites out of Egypt because you see something significant happened 
is that God physically brought them out of Egypt, and then he had to bring them to a place of circumcision to bring Egypt out of their minds. How many of us are still walking day in and day out thinking that we're going to struggle with that thing the rest of our lives? We hear culture and society all around us tell us that an addiction is a disease. And it's a lifelong process of recovery. But can I just share you some truth this morning? That there was a Jesus who recovered it all. He recovered it all. And every last drop of his blood cries out for your freedom. How am I going to do that, Christina? How do I change the way I think? How do I completely reconstruct my life? I grew up in a home with an alcoholic father, and it put an imprint and a stamp on me because of the responsibility that I had to bear as a child. I had to play the parent when I never should have played the parent. I grew up in a home without a father. So I grew up in life trying to figure out what it was like to be a man. Maybe you grew up in a home where you were drugged to church like I was. And you thought that there was really nothing you could ever do to get to Jesus because there was too many rules, you couldn't follow any of them. How is Jesus that good and how is his life that great if I can't even, I'm slipping up every chance I get at all these rules? Maybe you walk through life and you encountered some challenges and difficulties. Maybe some people of the faith let you down. Maybe you sat under leadership. Maybe you sat in a church and maybe you were, you were taught some incorrect theology. How do I change that? Where do I even start? Here's where you start, in the camp, in the camp, not in the camp of unbelievers, not in the camp of Facebook, not in the camp of Fox News, not in the camp of the CDC, not in the camp of your political party. Some of us, not even the camp of your family. In the camp where others have been circumcised, set apart, marked. In a camp where you can no longer be conformed to the things of the world because the person on your right and left is going to hold you accountable. And when they hold you accountable, you're going to act like who? Christ. In the camp where you're going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In the camp where others are going to encourage you and champion you into the perfect will of God. Mark me, Lord, right here, today. 
Mark me. If it does not honor you, Lord, show it to me so I can get rid of it. If it's holding me back, show me so I can let go. If it's bitterness and unforgiveness, teach me. Holy Spirit, give me strength to forgive. Tommy, can you put that scripture up from 1 Peter, the message version? Listen, let's not get ahead of God. Stay with him. When he stops, we will stop. When he moves, we'll follow. When he stops, we don't want to get caught. Keep walking because we see something desirous to our eyes. Ecclesiastes says this. It says that our ears are never satisfied with hearing and our eyes are never satisfied with seeing. May that be for the things of God and not the things of the world. Look at this scripture. I want you to make this your heart cry this morning. Roll up your sleeves. Get your head in the game. Be totally ready to receive the gift that's coming when Jesus arrives. Don't lazily slip back into the old grooves of evil, doing just what you feel like doing. You didn't know any better then. If you don't know any better, just ask your neighbor, okay? It's okay that some of us weren't raised and didn't have that advice. Just ask before you do it and then regret it. Let me tell you something. It's better to be overboard than later be overbearing. Burdened, I'm sorry. It's better to be overboard now. I'd rather be overboard with my kids and their safety than at later on question the things, the decisions I made and be overburdened by them. If you don't know, just ask. You're in the camp. You didn't know any better then. You do now. You do now. I'm charging you today with accountability for one another. You do now. As obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life. A life energetic and blazing with holiness. God said, I am holy. You be holy. You call out to God for help, and he helps. He is a good father that way. But don't forget, he's also a responsible father. If you're sitting in here this morning and you've never had a father, sometimes when correction comes, sometimes when instruction comes, the first thing that comes out of us is rebellion. That's okay. We have to learn to think differently. We have to learn to receive the hand of correction. We read the scripture earlier. It said a good father who is a child hungry would not give him a stone. So listen. He's a good father. He's a responsible father. He won't let you get by with sloppy living. I love this translation here. Your life is a journey. You must travel with a deep conscience of God. It costs God plenty to get you out of that dead end. Empty-headed life you grew up in. He paid with Christ's sacred blood. You know, he died like an unblemished sacrificial lamb. 
this was not an afterthought. Hey, it wasn't an afterthought. What he did for you, he didn't come over here and scratch his head about. The scripture says there's no shadow of his turning. What he does, you will never see his shadow because he will never turn his back on you. You're not an afterthought. Your victory is not an afterthought. Even though it was, it has only lately, at the end of times, become public knowledge, God always knew he was going to do this for you. Everybody knows my stuff. How can I live with the shame and the disgrace of the things I've done? Everybody knows about it. I hear about it all day long. Trust me, I've heard it. How can you marry that man again? I've heard it from leaders in the church. How can you trust that? How can you trust him? Why would you do that? Why would you take that risk? I just have to believe that if I live through it, I'm supposed to tell about it. I just have to believe that if you live through it, you're supposed to tell about it. I just have to believe that somewhere in Revelation, it says that we are overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So this morning, I'm coming to ask you, are you willing to be marked today? But much more important, are you willing to obey and stay in the camp until you have been healed? Stay with other believers. Guard your eyes and guard your ears. Because there's coming a day when the camp is going to have to get up because God's going to move. And when God says now, now is the time we have to go. Men and women, we're going. You don't want to be unhealed. And then end up in the situation like Achan when they get into Jericho and he cost himself his life because he had still had selfishness afloat in his heart and he wanted to steal what was God's. Listen, I told you a moment ago, you're kind of wondering, why am I going to overtake a city? I'm not called into ministry. I'm not. I, let me tell you what your city is. God wants you to stay in the camp. He wants to roll back the reproach because he has ground for you to take. You will never be able to stand up and face the giants that God wants you to take if you're not healed. You'll never be able to walk into the city and tear down idols of idolatry. You'll never be able to re-imprint things into the lives of your children. You'll never be able to change the direction of your identity or theirs. If we do not stay in a place where God has marked us for healing. When God prevails, when God prevails, we don't fight. We surrender. When God prevails, we don't fight. We surrender. The greatest battles you will ever win in your life or when you surrender to the great physician you let him do the cutting
we haven't been this way before. I've seen God move in your life. I've seen his hand. It's, it's made the heart of the enemy tremble. Matter of fact, it melt, melted his heart. Seen the hand of God in your life so much that the enemy begins to lose courage. He has time for you to heal. He has time. He has time to mark you, to change the way you think, to remove the reproach, to roll it back. He has time to wait on you to heal. morning and you say, Christina, that's me. I got some things I need to cut away. Got some things that are getting hung up in the gate, won't come through, trying to pull this stuff from my past, this way I think. Well, I can't get through the gate. I'm stuck because the gate's too narrow. 